in the grand tradition of comic book team-ups, welcome to Views from the Fiery and Watery Long Box, Part 1. After this episode, head over to Views from the Long Box for Part 2. Another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irony Mobile Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the collaborative Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Shag, there's someone else in the room with us. Ignore him. It's what I usually do. <laughs> I love you too, Shag. <laughs> Folks from those dulcet tones, uh, you could probably tell, or the intro where I actually mentioned it, you can probably tell that we have Mr. Michael Bailey from Views from the Long Box, Fortress of Bailey Tude, from Crisis to Christ. I'm running out of oxygen. I can't do all of these. What else do you got, Mike? There's so many things we do. I don't know. Trentus Magnus has like this epic intro for me for one of the guest spots I did. It was kind of like, you know, when, when, when like the boxing guys are introducing Muhammad Ali or something. It's just like so. No, it's a pleasure to be back on the show. I love the Fire and Water podcast, and uh, it's great to actually have all three of us on the show together. Yeah, this is the first time, right? We, we've yeah. never done this. Yes, I, uh, uh, Rob has appeared on Views from the Long Box a few times, um, taken up my my seat. Thank you very much. I hope you took care of it. And, of course, Michael's been on this show a couple times, and I've been on Views from the Long Box far, far, far too many times. And uh, now we're all together. This is fantastic. So, so, according to some people, not enough times, because they prefer it when you're on, and apparently, <laughs> apparently screw, screw me when I'm alone, I guess. So. <laughs> well, you do episodes by yourself. I didn't know that. <laughs> I only found out Rob was on there by accident, so I didn't even know. <laughs> Rob well, Rainmaker Kelly. That's right. <laughs> he brings that's... me the ratings, man. Him and Andy Leyland. Well, it's Andy Leyland. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm wasting that. He's not listening to this. He's not, not even. Oh, well. <laughs> All right, folks. What are you talking about? This is uh, something we've had in the works for a very long time, and uh, it's, it's a little bit of a follow-up to our Batman Brave and the Bold episode, and yet this is something un- you know, taken onto a life of its own. We, the three of us, all were very interested in doing something covering DC Comics Presents, 
It's one of our passion loves. If it's superhero team of comics, it's Bronze Age nutsiness. It's lots of fun. We all love it. And Aquaman's appeared in them, and Firestorm's appeared in them, and some guy in blue tights with a red cape appears in it. <laughs> and so we thought it'd be fun to get together. And then we it grew. And now, folks, this is actually a comic book size style crossover event. You know, think Mutant Massacre without all the mutants or the massacring. Or... Yeah, no, at no point is Rob Kelly going to get nailed to the to the wall by the uh, the marauders, and Thor's going to come in and bail him out. So, well, the night is young. Power pack, you show up. You never know. Just saying. That so. would only make you happy, though. <laughs> it would. That's true. Uh, so we're going to start here. We're going to do an episode, uh, cover an issue of DC Comics Presents here in the Fire and Water Podcast. Then come back for part two. Over in views from the lawn box, which Mike will get around to posting by 2017 or 18. So <laughs> you, you do realize I've been popping like two episodes a week for like three, four weeks now, right? That's just dirty, you know. You whatever you do in the privacy of your own home, that's fine. But you know, if you're going to put that crap up on the web, just you know, put it out on RedTube or something, not not on your feed. Shag, that is way too many mentions of RedTube on our podcast. <laughs> That's like the third time you've mentioned Red Tube. Let's please, let's stop mentioning Red Tube. It's because everyone universally knows what it is. I don't know that even everybody knows know what, it, what it is. Even if, even if you don't know what it is, you can tell by the name. You know what it is. For, those of, you, for those of you who don't know what it is, don't do a Google search at work. Yeah, That's and, and, and for, lo- for the love of God, if you don't know what it is and you have people that can see your browser history, do not type that web address yeah, into don't. your... Let's just move on. It was just a little throwaway line that's become a thing. It's not it's not a thing. This is not a thing. <laughs> now would be the perfect time to do the in-stock trades ad, of course. I'm sure they would really appreciate <laughs> that we mentioned them at this point in the show. So it would be funny right. RedTube kind of contacted you to want to sponsor the show. I'll take, I'll take their money. All right, folks. <laughs> this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Since we're talking about DC Comics Presents and Superman in the Bronze Age, we thought we would cover uh, a couple different related ones. Rob, you want to take the first one? Uh, yeah, my selection for this week is Showcase Presents, DC Comics Presents, Trade Paperback Volume 2. Superman Woo! Battle. Su- thank you. Superman Battles for Justice alongside heroes including Supergirl, Black Canary, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Starman, whoever knows which one, and more in these <laughs> stories from DC Comics Presents numbers 27 through 50 and DC Comics Presents Annual Number 1. Writer Marv Wolfman very, and other writers, of course. Artists Rich Buckler and, uh, and some others. Cover artist Jim Starlin. Page count 568 pages. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Normal price is $19.99. In stock trades, selling it for $10.99, 45% off. You can't beat it. This uh, this particular volume features DC Comics Presents number 38, which is Superman and the Flash, and features the backup story, Whatever Happened to the Crimson Avenger, which to me is uh, one of the yeah. single finest stories DC Comics ever printed. So uh, that is absolutely worth your time. If you haven't read these stories, get this volume. It's a ton of fun. Uh, it's got the fire. Storm one in there too, where Firestorm Superman battle uh, crisscross right before the beginning of the Fury Firestorm nineteen eighty two series, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and it also doesn't this also have the yeah it should have the He Man one in there too. Yes, it does. I, the mm, I think it does. I don't know if they can reprint it though. I don't see why not. The, DC now has the rights to Masters of the Universe. Why don't you order and find out? Folks? Yeah, somebody order it and find out. Yeah, yeah, I haven't got my copy yet. So, but it does have DC Comics presents Annual Number One, which is awesome. 
Is that the Luther thing? Yes, that's the the Earth, the Golden Age Superman. Uh, the which apparently there was one. I'm like, no, I'm not going to get that argument started. Do not, no, don't open that can of worms. <laughs> no, I, was, I, I don't, don't need to sit here and tell Rob how wrong he is all night no, long. No, but that was the first appearance of Alexander Luther from Earth Three. Uh, the the heroic, father, not, yeah. not Junior, right? So definitely check that one out. We would have pimped Volume 1, but it's not on in-stock trades right now. I suspect that's probably because DC's working on a new printing of it, or they're going to do a color version. I'm not sure. That's usually how that works when they take it out of press release, out of release. Great stuff out there. Also, another book we wanted to talk about was Superman in the 70s. The reason we picked this one is because this is really good Bronze Age Superman, and that's what your DC Comics Presents stories were, was was your last gasp of the Bronze Age Superman. This stuff, this thing covers books literally going all the way back to 1971 all the way to 1979 it's a weird smattering in here it's uh now mike you were saying the couple of the stories in here you were familiar with uh pretty much all of them you've got uh lois lane 106 which is i am curious black which is pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty uh pretty famous uh, uh story there yeah they have uh, superman's pal jimmy olsen number 133 which was the kickoff of the fourth world uh, Superman, uh, Superman number 233 is in there. That is Superman Breaks Loose, which was like kind of the kickoff of Superman in the Bronze Age. And because it's a reprint book with Superman, they have to put in, you know, Must There Be a Superman by Elliot S. Magan and Swanderson because mm. you constantly have to do that. I, I don't know why it has to be in all of them. I mean, it's a good story. Don't get me wrong, but still. At least, uh, I wonder if it reprints the cover, which has Superman looking like he really has to go to the bathroom. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's even got a DC Comics Presents volume in here, um, issue 14, which I thought I could look find in time, but I'm not going to. So, anyway, <laughs> uh, this sucker's got tons of stuff. Like you said, it covered the whole range of the 70s. And uh, it normally retails for nineteen ninety five. You can get it for forty five percent off, which is ten dollars and ninety seven cents. And uh, again, you can get all this out at InStockTrades.com, your best source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions. All for up to forty five percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. That Sweet. Uh, that book also has an introduction by Chris Reeve. Oh gosh, I completely forgot to mention that. That's right. Oh, miss him. All right, uh, we are going to dive in here, and uh, we've got. I guess we're we're going to do uh, an issue here on this uh, on this show. We're going to be covering Superman meets. Wait for it. Wait for it. Aquaman, Yay! King of the Seven Seas, and uh, you know what? For the recap, um, you know what, Bailey. It's time you earn your keep around here. You, like, show up for Dragon Con episodes. You show up for, like, Golden Age All-Star Squadron episodes, which you totally stole from underneath me. And uh, you get to, like, ride the Rob's coattails. So, you know what? Do some work. Give us a synopsis. Get to it, bitch. Wow. Oh, wow. That, that's remarkable coming from somebody who would be nothing without me. Um... Whoa! Girls, girls, you're both pretty. <laughs> I, made... <laughs> I made you... First, <laughs> what I, you say I made you. You say made me. How childish can you get? Um, That's what I was going for, but I couldn't remember the line. <laughs> well, this is DC Comics presents number five. It has a January 1979 cover date. Uh, according to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, it was actually released on October 9th, 1978, just uh, two short months before the release of Superman the movie. Good to know for when the time machine comes around. Just saying. The story title is War. Of the undersea cities, rocketed to Earth from the doomed planet Krypton, Kal-El became the world's greatest superhero. Meanwhile, the son of a lighthouse keeper and an Atlantean became king of the seven seas. 
Now with pride, DC Comics presents Superman and Aquaman. Two heroes, each reckoned a champion of Atlantis, could certainly be expected to cooperate in repelling a brutal invasion of that sunken city. But what if Atlantis was not a single domed metropolis, but two? I, I don't understand why they're trying to make, like, I always thought everyone knew that it was two cities. But anyways, what would they... I, I, I don't know that it was as common as you would think. Uh, what then could heroes do when confronted with the War of the, Unders of the Undersea Cities? Len Wein plot, Paul Levitt's dialogue, Murphy Anderson artist. So uh, I was kind of surprised to see that, especially if you look at Superman on this front page where he's apparently Stretch Armstrong. Uh, ben Oda Letterer, Jerry Serpe? I guess that's how you pronounce I that. I think so, yeah. Colorist and Ross Andrew editor. Chapter one, and peace shall not reign under waves. Dawn in Metropolis, and a fisherman brings in quite the catch, a mermaid. The mermaid starts muttering about Superman, and the fisherman realizes that if this fish lady is a friend of the Man of Steel, then all he'll get is trouble, so he takes her to find help. Turns out the mermaid is Lori Lamaris, and Superman finds her at Star Labs, and boy does she have a story to tell. Apparently, Aquaman and his fortress attacked her home in... Now, I say Tritonus. Would it be Tritonus? I always thought it was Tritonus. I say, okay. say Tritonus. Okay. This doesn't make a lick of sense, so Superman takes her back home, where they are attacked by the overzealous city defenses. Once all of that is sorted out, Superman gets the lowdown from Ronald, Lori's husband, and soon he is off to Poseidonus, which leads to Chapter 2, A Clash of Champions. As Superman travels to Aquaman's home, he thinks about the history of Atlantis in case this was your first time reading about them in a DC book. Superman is... Well, attacked is the wrong word, but like a gaggle of sea life surrounds Superman, and it turns out to be a delaying tactic from the king of the seven seas himself, Aquaman. Yay! <laughs> I actually left myself a pause there in case something like that happened. <laughs> um, you just get me. <laughs> Aquaman has a very different... <laughs> wow. You complete him. <laughs> Aquaman has a very different tale to tell from Lori. It seems that uh, Tritonus attacked his city, and since Lori wouldn't lie to him and Aquaman wouldn't lie to him, Superman thinks they're both being deceived, and like that, they're off to Tritonus. Which leads into Chapter 3, A Crown for the Sister City. Superman and Aquaman are greeted by the city's defenders and eventually surrender to avoid having to hurt them anymore. They're brought not before the city leaders, but to Ocean Master. Seems Aquaman's half-brother, which they're very, very apparent about pointing out in the dialogue, has set himself up as Tritonus's savior, and everyone living there is behind him. Superman and Aquaman leave, but in Chapter 4, Secret of the Sinister Sea Lord, they decide to head back to the city and confront Orm, who is quite ready for them. After putting a whammy on Aquaman, Orm releases the world's ugliest jellyfish to attack Superman. Aquaman overcomes the whammy, and uh, no whammy, no whammy, stop! And starts working, uh, working o Ocean Master over like he was a side of beef. Meanwhile, Superman struggles against the jellyfish, but eventually realizes that the creature is feeding off of his anger, so the Man of Steel goes all zen, and the creature releases him. The distraction allows Aquaman to knock Orn the F out, and soon, life is back to normal. Superman and Lori share a moment, and then Superman is off to attend a ceremony at the Metropolis Press Club, where Clark Kent is due to receive an award. And that is just the kind of peaceful day Superman needs. Two, two points. First, I don't think I'm the only one out there listening to this that was disappointed when it became clear on page two that you weren't just going to read the whole comic to us. Uh, yes. I was... 
I was getting <laughs> I was getting really excited. I was like, this is going to be awesome. Mike's just going to read the whole book. <laughs> it's going to be like a power record. Um, and then secondly, I like this comic quite a bit, but I will say the plot, it, it's the same as the Brave and Bold where it's it's Aquaman is being a dick to his his uh, his host. It's the same thing. I don't know why they always constantly felt the need to write that, that when Aquaman shows up, he's just kind of a jerk. He's a jerk. To, he's punched Batman around a bunch of times, and here he punches, tries, or tries to, punch Superman around. It's, uh, I don't know what the writers had to do with Aquaman. They feel like he just couldn't be friendly. He's an angry, angry, salty sea man. Mm. You know, it, it, if you want, I could read the, like, the opening pages and have the fisherman have the, like, Colonel Sanders voice, if, you, if you'd really uh, like You know, that. Mike, that might be a whole other episode where you just read <laughs> comics out loud to me. I think I would really enjoy that. <laughs> and it wouldn't be Colonel Sanders. It would have to be a pervy old man voice is what it would have to be. Because that was some twisted crap he was imagining. Yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> Dead, dirty, dirty old man. It's all like, ah, my pervy dreams are busted. She knows Superman. This sucks. Well, his, like, his, oh, God. His first so thing, suddenly it's, it, his, it's Burt Young from Rocky. Is that what you're saying? His first well, thing, wait, wait, he goes, uh, no, his, I love that his first idea is to shell, sell Lori to the circus. Which is just, <laughs> right. like, that is just such an old, like, you're completely out of time reference now. <laughs> like, that's your your clear chance to make a ton of money is to sell something. I guess you put her on the internet now. I guess that would be the modern day equivalent. <laughs> I'm going to sell Lori Lamaris on eBay. Yeah. I'm going to put <laughs> her up the on last YouTube videos. This is going to make me a mint. You're doing alien autopsy with her. Yeah. Exactly. Um, at the end, when he's walking away with her, he goes, yeah, come on, fish lady. You and me are parting ways the fastest way I know how. I thought he meant he was going to throw her in a dumpster. <laughs> like, I thought he was totally just going to hide the body. You know, think, obviously, clearly, hey, the fact that she knew Superman was upsetting to him. So I just thought that was, you know, that's how he's handling that. So, uh, is it just me, or does this feel a lot like a like 1960s kind of comic, even though it was published in the late 70s? Oh, yeah. No, I think it definitely feels like Like that. a 60s Marvel book, I would say, because you have, like, the two heroes disagreeing and then teaming up in the end to fight the real threat. The only difference here is they don't meet in a warehouse. So um, there's misunderstanding. That's true. The, the, yes, there is a. Tr- <laughs> the problem with DC Comics Presents is that while I enjoy every issue I read, it's like some are definitely better than others. And yeah. coming out of the gate, they had like this awesome two-part Flash story, which I really enjoyed, especially. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rob. You, you you might know this. Was this supposed to be like Jose Luis Garcia Lopez's "Praise Be His Name"? Was oh. this supposed to be his book at first, and then he just couldn't keep the schedule because it seemed like he did a bunch of these early issues? I that I don't know. I don't believe so because most of the time, team up books were always done as uh, as inventory stories, something that you could drop into a book at a moment's notice in case somebody blew a deadline. So I think if when it was designed for that, you wouldn't have the same artist on every issue for that reason. You know, you wanted to be able to – I mean, like, if, if something ever went crazy in a Superman book and they missed – and Kurt Swan missed the deadline, which, of course, like, never happened, they could drop this in as just, like, a one-off issue. So I think that's kind of what DC Comics presents and Brave and the Bold in a lot of ways were meant to be. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that uh, uh, JLGL was necessarily meant to be the regular artist. Well, you're definitely right about Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, praise doing me. a lot of these early issues. I mean, he did the whole – like. This is actually the first issue of the series he didn't do because he, he did the Flash ones. He did uh, the Adam Strange one, which is friggin' gorgeous, by the way, written by oh, David Michelini. So, um, 
he did the Metal Men issue, which was done by Len Wein, which is a total hoot, by the way. And so this is the first one he hasn't done. And they, you know, they, they really kind of went back to the well with Murphy Anderson. I mean, that's a, his style just doesn't look like that this time period. There's a lot to be said for Murphy Anderson stuff. There's certain things about Murphy Anderson I really like, and there's certain things I don't, uh, as far as just, it's a little too, like I said, 1960s. But there's certain stuff like I really like his faces. I really like, you know, the emotion that's displayed and some of the body language I like. So I, I think he's, you know, he, it's enjoyable, but it's not, you know, if, if you were collecting this monthly, I, I would have been disappointed coming off of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise, praise be his name. name, into this. It's, it's like those early issues of New Teen Titans, and then, da-da-da-da, Kurt Swan's going to draw the first oh, appearance of Dragon. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> There is a, one, of these, one of these things is not like the other. You mentioned the faces, and there is a great little moment, I think, in page six, where Superman and Laurie are headed back to uh, Triton, Tritonus, and uh, Laurie starts talking about their past, and Superman just goes, Laurie. And then <laughs> and he's looking, and he looks, he's not even looking at her, and it's like a total, like, look, step off. And then Laurie's like, you're right, we shouldn't speak of the past. It's the present that matters. And there's something about the way that Murphy Anderson draws Superman's face. He really looks like a jerk. He just looks like he's being so mean to Laurie. I, I don't know. The, the, I just, lo- I just oh. love that it took one word to shut her down, Laurie. <laughs> Laurie? I wish that worked that way on Walking Dead. We should work that way on Walking Dead with that, Lori. So anyway, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that after a certain period of time. That's true. Uh, and then the bitch keeps calling back on the phone. Um, <laughs> the, the the art is just so up and down because Murphy Anderson. I, I've seen a lot, like uh, like in the early seventies, he did this beautiful Superman cover where Superman is like holding. It's like an eighty like a, a eighty page giant type book, and Superman is like holding like the different books that are in the issue and then on the back you have this weird collection of heroes you have like superman and uh super chief and a bunch of other characters and it's just like this epic murphy anderson and here like especially on the first page where he's got these wibbly wobbly timey wimey arms uh where did are, that come from what is that about i, I don't know I, I said wibbly wobbly and i figured that by law now i have to say timey wimey afterwards i thought that was earn the right to say that but anyway <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate the reference. So shut up. I did. I did. But uh, bitter and mad at Fayetteville. That's all. But uh, uh, you know the, the the funny thing is, is, like on page five, like some of the quiet moments. Like page five has like the flashback that Laurie is explaining when when Poseidonus uh, attacks, and you got you got Aquaman atop. I guess that's a dolphin. Um, it's kind of a weird looking dolphin, but Ronald is sitting there reading and Lori's like on him. And, and, and I just get like this total thing, like she's nagging him and he just wants to read his paper. <laughs> well, the thing that cracks me up about that scene is, and this is, a, I was going to nod it to, to Murphy Anderson, is they are reading by very 70s yeah. lights. <laughs> I, I don't know what that light style is called. There's a term for it, but this where they arc up and come back down. It's like, that is totally a 70s lamp and, you know, underwater. Really? <laughs> it looks like uh, Ronald's reading a Treasury comic. I think that might be Superman it versus does. Muhammad Ali. I'm not, not bothered. <laughs> it does. And also, uh, Ronald learned everything he did about fashion from the Karate Kid from around this time. So. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. There's uh, Since we're talking about these pages, this is a, more of a text thing than an art. But the page before and page four, Superman, I mean, going back to this thing with him and Lori, I mean, he's a dick. He's sitting here going, you know, every young man cherishes his first great love of his life. 
But even if Lori Lamaros didn't mean that much to me, it's still hard to forget a mermaid. <laughs> it's just like, wow, dang, that poor girl. And then later on in the comic, she's sitting there making goo eyes at him in front of her husband. She's like, you know how hard it is for me when you leave? And Ronald's sitting there going, again? Really? Really? With this, with this crap really? again? Do I look uh, cuckold to you? What the hell? Come on. Well, it... I don't know if you guys have ever you, you both have read the, the 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 original girl from Superman's past uh, story with the the first appearance of Laurie Lamaris, right? Yes. Yeah. I don't think I've read the real one. I think I've only read like reinterpretations. The, the the great thing about that is that you know you you have him falling in love with her and you know him imagining like all these things he'll do for her like flying in a symphony and all that kind of stuff, but when he the moment he suspects she might be a spy, he's just like I love her, but I love my country more, so I'm gonna go find out about this. <laughs> so Superman's always had this kind of relationship with Laurie, like. Like, he wanted to be with her, but, you know, she shut him down, so I guess she's gonna, he's gonna make her pay for that for the rest of their lives. No kidding. Oh, man. So, mm. alright. Uh, what else we got? What are, I got, I got more notes. What about you guys? Uh, page nine, the history of, of Atlantis. What I like about this page, not so much that apparently everyone dresses in Aquaman underoos. <laughs> right. But I like the fact that it's framed against Superman's face. That's actually an interesting page composition. And again, He's got a the, rugged face, too. Again, with the rounded corners. Fly, flag, rounded corners equals either flashbacks or super friends. <laughs> ah, uh, that's true. I wonder if, um, let's see. Yeah, yeah, that holds true in the 70s disco lamps. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and why in the hell are the mermaids standing for their picture? <laughs> well, no, they're swimming. They just did swimming upright. Okay, it looks like they're standing on top of the ground, though. It does. It does. <laughs> and the boy, the, the boy in the uh, in the Poseidonus uh, side of it looks very. He doesn't want to be there. He wants he wants to be doing something else besides totally. taking this picture. So totally. It's like some guy named Cordax wants me to go play. Can I go? <laughs> So, so I love when Aquaman is uh, talking about what him and later on when he's he's giving his version of the story, and he says to Superman, "This this dialogue just kind of blew me away." He's like, "You know, we were Mara and I were in the Aqua Cave arguing about the new undersea farms." It's like, wow, he just puts that out there. Like he needs a therapist or something, and he just he's got to unload on his on his baggage. And it's like, wow, man, okay. I mean, you guys are on the same superhero team together, I guess. This this is. <laughs> This is one I like the fact that they they worked the Aqua Cave into this thing. I mean, the Aqua Cave didn't last all that long, but we get to see really? it here. Yeah, they really kind of just phased it out fairly. But I like that we see it again here. I always thought that was one of the fun additions in the adventure run was the the Aqua Cave, and then Jeff Johns brought it back in Brightest Day. But uh, I like I'm always enjoy seeing it here, and I would have made a really great Mego playset with a big clam entrance. That would have been awesome. <laughs> <laughs> now was was it in the cartoon? No. Not this, not this. They had a headquarters, but in the, like when, when it was introduced in Adventure Comics, it was like basically the Batcave, but right. but it, you know had like a lab and all sorts of crazy stuff that Aquaman would never really need. But I liked it anyway. But here, I I'm just happy to see it in some other context other than Aquaman's strip. Now you guys are are much more familiar with Aquaman than I am, especially in this era. Was the the undersea farms like a big thing in the Adventure Run? They did mention it a couple of times. Yeah, there was a lot of like political strife, and then there was anytime they had to have a scene of of Aquaman 
dealing with the, the, the boring parts of being king. It was always somebody talking about farming or plankton or something like that. <laughs> and then that would get interrupted with, oh, black man is attacking again. Oh, okay, no time for this. Volko, you handle this boring paperwork stuff. And the <laughs> plankton farmers, <laughs> I, I got to go off. That was always their go-to <laughs> thing. But the plankton farmers friggin' hate Aqua. Man, damn it! He's never got time for us. He's never got time for this. Yeah, we we were gonna do this, and 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 we we, we planned for this, and we've rescheduled this meeting like thirteen times, and and you still okay, Volko? We'll deal with you. Yeah, you and Black Mana are in cahoots, aren't you? Like you call him on your shell phone, like dude, give me give me out of this meeting. I gotta go. Come on. He's sitting there like texting Black Mana. Please don't kill my kid. Please attack the city. Gosh, Black Mana, I hope you don't attack right now because all the defenses are down. Dear Orm, Dad loved me best. <laughs> LOL. LOL. <laughs> My favorite part of this whole book actually is uh, page 15 where Superman and Aquaman are fighting the uh, the, the little shark fin guys. And yeah. the fact that they're all trying to punch Superman and they can't get anywhere and they're breaking their hands on Superman's <laughs> chin and stomach it's a very silly sequence it's very kind of super friends but i do enjoy just watching superman stand there and just let these guys break their hands i think this is very fun even though uh he doesn't have a beard i do totally hear john dimaggio's aquaman in this scene <laughs> while these unarmed guardsmen aren't much trouble outrageous <laughs> it's funny whenever i hear uh the, the whenever i read these old dc comics presents i hear the super friends superman voice it's a uh, Dark? Is that what his name's like? Danny Dark. Danny Dark, yeah. yeah. I hear Danny Dark every time I read these comics when, it, when it's Superman. I just, it's always there. You know, and I'm glad you brought up the fight because I have a weird note on this one. Like, I th- I almost get the sense that this fight was done Marvel style. You know, uh, was, was this Levitz who did this story? I Levitz forget. Dialogue did. Okay. Wayne plotted it. So Wayne okay. turned the plot over to Murphy Anderson and then Levitz provided the dialogue later. Well, I feel like this one went awry. I feel like, you know, Len kind of said, do so, you know, have, have Superman and Aquaman show up at the, you know, at Tritonus. And then Murphy did all this, and Paul got it, and he's like, what the hell am I going to do with this? Oh, crap. Because the dialogue, it doesn't contradict anything, but it's just so, the dialogue just doesn't f- flow well with the fight. They're like, oh, well, we'll just stand here for a bit. Okay, let's do some crazy, cra-. you know, it's just, it's goofy. And uh, I just felt like the scene was, like, maybe Paul wasn't sure what to do with it, so... <laughs> It does lead into a very nice splash page of, of Ocean Master's throne room, which is actually that is rather nice. That is nice, yeah. And, uh, but it's kind of mitigated by how Ocean Master looks a little silly in that circle. Uh, he really does. That old mask is awful. Oh, my God. You've forgotten. Yeah. I for, you forget how terrible that old mask was. Yeah, you know, it depended who drew it. When Neil Adams drew it, I thought it looked great. Oh, and, and, sure. And, and, well, but I mean threatened. It didn't look as ridiculous. But when you see it here, it just looks incredibly stupid. Well, that, that was the problem with, and, and, and you know, you can kind of lump Kurt Swan into this because he and Murphy Anderson had a very similar style, which is why I think when Anderson inked Swan, it, it looked the best out of all of Swan's Bronze Age inkers. I think his best Silver Age inker was George Klein, but <clears throat> it's kind of like looking at Terry Off. Austin pencils, which look a lot like John Byrne pencils, so you realize mm-hmm. that maybe a lot of that magic from the Uncanny X-Men was really Austin inking Byrne and not so much Byrne drawing it on his own. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. 
But especially on page 17, that second panel looks like a Kurt Swan Aquaman. And the only reason I can really, I, I really associate that is because in the summer of 1989, I bought the Legend of Aquaman special. <clears throat> so Kurt Swan, in my head, for some reason, is an Aquaman artist. I know he's not really associated with the character all that much, but because of that special, I, I associate the two. So it's kind of interesting seeing Murphy Anderson's take on the character. And on, on page 17, one, I like the fact that Ronald looks completely pissed that Laurie is talking to Superman at all. Um, <laughs> and two, when, you got kind of a Dick Dillon panel on the, on the last thing with Orm laughing at him and how stiff everyone is. But the dialogue I put in there just in my head is like, Batman does this to us all the time. <laughs> He'll start laughing at us and we have to leave. But I, I just love the fact that on the next page, on page 18, they're just hanging out outside the city. It's just like you got these two men of action. You know, Superman who can do pretty much anything he wants at this point, And Aquaman who doesn't take a whole lot of crap under, you know, when he's underwater. You know, they're just like, well, what are we going to do? I don't know. You want to go get a beer? I mean... <laughs> I really like the panel on the bottom left on page 18 of Aquaman sort of contemplating. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it doesn't genuinely look a lot like Silver Age Aquaman or Bronze Age Aquaman, but I, I still like it. It just looks really, it's like a really nice shot of him thinking. See, I, I almost wanted a Paro to draw this because I love his Aquaman, but I never thought a Paro did particularly well with Superman for some reason. And I really never, in the few times I really saw him draw the character, it just never looked right to me. So... Hmm. He's busy, he's, he's busy on Brave and the Bold. He's got his own book to worry about. That's interesting you would and, say that, Mike, because uh, Superman's guest appearance in Batman and the Outsiders number 19, the big red S story, that's like one of my – I love the way Superman looks in that Biopero, the one where he fights Geoforce. See, I'm, I'm thinking of, of the Brave and the Bold 250, I think it was, where Superman was the secret guest star. One, 150, 150. 150, and then when Superman was in Death in the Family – Right. He looked kind of wonky, well, so, I, so I guess I'll have to read well, that that's, outsider. That's the much later Aparo story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Outsiders, to me, is like some of Aparo's best work yep. on that yeah, first series. That. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll have to go back and reread that and, and kind of give that another look, and that might change my mind a little bit, which is always possible. But just it just seemed like when he drew Superman, it, especially in the you know, like in the seventies, it, it looked kind of wonky to me, but. Hmm. That's just, you know, my opinion. Uh, when, page 22, the, the shot of Aquaman and Superman shaking hands is really weak sauce. <laughs> That's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, that golden, the Aquaman actually looks golden age from the back. His hair does keep moving, which is kind of cool because he's underwater. And they, they kind of show that. Uh, I, I kind of, especially at the top of that, that page, when he looks really golden age-ish uh, as he's being strangled. Either... Either Orm is trying to give him a hug or he's trying to strangle him. I'm not quite sure what's going on in that panel. But apparently Aquaman didn't appreciate it very much because he punched him in the face. So, But then you're right, Shag, on that last page. It's like, I'm, I'm afraid I too must go, Laurie. I understand, Superman. And you know how I feel until I see you again. I am standing right here. She's <laughs> Oops. Sorry. Oh, no. She's She's freaking holding his hand. It's like, I, if I was, I, I would just be losing my mind at this point. Be like, you know what? Fine. We are getting a freaking underwater divorce. It is happening now. As soon as you let go of his hand, you're going to sign the paper. I've, I've had, had it. I'm going to fertilize your eggs. That's right. God, I am not. 
I sincerely apologize for the uh, language, folks. It, this, this scene just what really you, What do you think? Is this from the long box? I mean, seriously. I, I got to hang out with Bailey and I start <laughs> dropping F-bombs. So what, what's interesting here is, is the page that's missing is the page where Lori and the elders actually offer the kingdom to Aquaman. You know? And then, the, the, then Aquaman leaves and pays off Orm. For the whole thing, <laughs> all, all this whole thing that's, was just a political play by Aquaman Ooh, to get the throne like, of Tritonus too. This is Game of Thrones. Oh underwater. yeah, it's like the wire underwater. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's great. Well, I, I really thought that was about to happen. I thought they were about to offer him to be king of Tritonus too, and I was going to be like, "Oh my god, this was a setup from the start." See, he Aquaman, totally played this. See Aquaman and Orm floating through like a, a rose garden underwater as Aquaman is like smelling the roses and talking about treachery and stuff like that. <laughs> I think that happened. I think it did. <laughs> see, I'm I'm using the uh, Showcase Presents Volume One, and I read this in black and white in there. And instead of a next issue box, I got a big white space. So I'm just going to draw those couple panels in here at the bottom. I, I hate when they well, do actually that. the big. The white space is actually kind of cool because the cover to this issue, you know, has, uh, you know, Orm attacking Aquaman and, and Superman getting attacked by the giant jellyfish creature. And, you know, Aquaman, of course, is saying something because this was the 70s and you had to talk on covers. That thing's killing Superman and I can't save him. But at the bottom is you could be a winner in the second Superman movie contest. And this... Mm-hmm. This was basically you would um, you would ha- you. It's funny. It says see ad pages for rules and prize information. Is there an ads page in this? I don't remember seeing one. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. There's there's a little thing about the contest on the bottom of the page of the final page yeah, of the story. Yeah, it's it's one of the they had basically had trivia questions yeah. that you had to answer. This one was question six, where on one side you have Lex Luthor and on the other side you have Gene Hackman, and it's. <laughs> Number six, years ago, Superman and Lex Luthor were best friends. Luthor turned evil because, A, he needed money to pay for his mother's operation. B, Superboy ruined an experiment which would have made Luthor famous. C, Superboy caused his hair to fall out. D, he was tricked into crime by gangsters. That would be C. Yes, but it's also leaving out the fact that Smallville completely turned on him afterwards. So, We gotta hear this again. Hey, you know what was happening. <laughs> there are actually some kind of neat ads in here. The uh, A while back, there, there was a Clark Bar ad in here. It says, holy taste buds, get the famous Clark Bar superhero mobiles. Didn't Clark also, Clark Bars also have like that big two-page spread yes, ad? They did. Where, yes, they did. Yeah, I remember that. that and it had Marvel and, DC, Marvel and DC heroes mixed together, didn't it? No, well, the merchandise. No, there was a Marvel version and a DC yeah, version. There was a Mar- yeah, uh. that, that ad used to drive me insane because they used to, they, it would say one of the prizes you could win was a subscription to your favorite DC or Marvel comic. And it would said like you know Superman, Justice Society, Spider Man, even Little Lulu. And I'm like, when did DC or Marvel ever publish <laughs> Little Lulu? They never did. You're lying to me, Clark Bars. That you, I, I cannot. That just drove me. Even as a kid, I knew that back then. I'm like, they don't publish that comic book. Why are they doing that? I'm you sorry. I thought it. I was over. Apparently, you're not. <laughs> I've you never even also never read a Clark Bar because of that. Clark Bars ruined your childhood. Mm-hmm. Do you want a hug? I think I want a Clark Bar, actually. Um... <laughs> Zagnet. 
<laughs> I get that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Captain America. Uh, okay, a reference to a movie that you both have probably seen, but the reference goes over here. Oh, okay. Um, we're making a Beetlejuice reference. I was, but then you said, I get that one, and I said, good going, Captain America. Oh, I get that one now, too. Yeah. <laughs> Earn a Star Wars micro electric electronic digital watch. Apparently, this doesn't impress anybody. Are you okay? Well, I, I, I'm, I, the showcase presents, so I can't. Oh, you follow, can't. Oh, you can't. I can't follow along with the ads. Uh, it, it does have a hostess ad. It does oh, a hostess host. ad. All right, sweet. Who's the, who's the character? It's it's the penguin. Oh, oh boy, Jack Dower. <laughs> That's why I got all excited. I'm like, he's gonna hear it, and he's he's gonna be excited that it was a penguin one because. Any awesome uh, rhymes or or uh, alliteration? Uh, you're, you're looking at penguins, my dear. They're puppets in a pecuniary plot, which will soon thicken. <laughs> so yes, there was, um, yeah. When, when Scott and I were doing tales full time, when we, whenever we would get to a, a host, oh, yeah. we would do dramatic readings of them. So well, we can, and when we get to the, the next one on your show, we could do that because I have that, I have that floppy with me. So, did you really just use that word? In my I, I did, I did, I did. It's <laughs> it's entered the lexicon of common. We can't deny it. It's out there. I mean, people use it all the time. I, I always have my floppy with me at all times. So, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, there's one there's one thing I wanted to mention before we forget because clearly, clearly, now that we're reading the Penguin Twinkie ads, we've run out of things to say about this book. <laughs> I've, got, I've got two. I got two things to talk about. But, but right, the one thing I wanted to mention was in, in, uh, I'm going to mention it again. DC Comics presents number 38, which is the first issue where. The price increase went from fifty cents to sixty cents, and the uh, the page count went up. For that issue, DC included a two-page pinup uh, by George Perez, and I'm blanking out on who the inker was. Might might be John John Beatty. I'm not sure, but I can't. Remember. Anyway, but it's a two-page pinup, and of of quote Superman and all of his team-up stars from DC Comics presents. Who is missing in this two-page pinup? <laughs> That's right. Aquaman, even though he's right friggin' here in issue number five of the series. And I, I have no to respect say, that guy. I have to say, I think that it's stuff like that when I was a kid that cemented my love of this character, that he just never got any respect. I'm like, they have room for Hoppy the Marvel Bunny, for God's sakes, but not Aquaman. And he, you know, I'm like, oh, that just drove me well, nuts. Well, that's because Hoppy and Aquaman were going through, like, that, that bitter rivalry. That, I guess so. You know, just tore comics apart for a couple yes. years. My grudge against Hoppy the Marvel Bunny. Yeah, it's just it, that drove me crazy. He's right here, folks. <laughs> was, He's right here. Is is, uh, is Hillbilly Marvel on there? Yeah, I was about to say, are you guys going to drag up that again and, <laughs> and face the ire of J. David Weeder once more? I had no idea we had so many hillbillies in our audience. <laughs> I know. Or f- <laughs> then, never mind. Um, They're all drinking Mountain Dew. <laughs> so you, you mentioned the page count change. So being that I have the showcase, I picked up on something that was sort of surprising. This issue of DC Comics Presents, the one with Aquaman number five, is the last issue for quite a while that is 23 pages long. The next issue, and it seems like the majority of subsequent issues are 17 pages long. Ouch. And yet the price did not go down. No. <sighs> they, took a, they took a, what is that, six-page hit, and the price stayed the same? I'm trying, I'm trying to remember my timeline here because this was after the implosion, yeah. right? Yeah, this, this is, is after the 80s. Yeah, this is this is definitely okay. after the implosion. Yeah. 
Because it seemed like a lot of books after the implosion, like, you know, Action Comics got an eight-page backup, and Superman had a backup feature as well. So some of them had extra pages. I guess DC Comics Presents. Oh, oh. One of those that didn't get it. No, we are wrong. This is the implosion. Okay. Right here. This is it. Because what was that release date on this, Mike? Uh, October 9th, 1978. Yeah, yeah. October 1978? No, that, that's when the implosion happened. I thought it was Fire, Firestorm. And, and Firestorm's last issue was July 1978. Well, I mean, it may have been spread over a certain amount of time. Well, right. And I don't yeah, mean sort of, but I mean, it's, but it's right around, because Firestorm's last issue was July 17, 1978. Not that I have it memorized or anything. But, um, and so this coming out in October 1978, that would make perfect sense for it to then you know, lower the page count. That would, that would definitely make sense. Hmm. Now, Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home the other issues of DC Comics Presents that Aquaman has appeared in? Uh, well, he only appeared in one other issue, which is number 48, uh, drawn by uh, – not drawn uh, – written by Dan Mishkin, which is uh, a whole lot of fun. That's a really good story. That's actually one of my favorites. So, But that's it. Other than those two appearances, those are the only that, – that's the only two times Aquaman appeared in this book. Okay. Yeah, he didn't get that many turns of the – I mean, they – I guess because uh, – I mean, let's say Brave and the Bold – Batman's run on Brave and the Bold ran, uh, off the top of my head, like 130 issues, roughly. And DC Comics Presents ran for just under 100 issues, so it was pretty close. But it seemed to me that Batman got more repeat uh, guest stars, and Superman had more unique guest stars. And also, they allowed more, I think, experimentation with Superman. I mean, Superman teamed up with He-Man, he teamed up with Santa Claus... They didn't do that as much with Batman. Batman didn't I guess, maybe because it was Batman. Uh, they just didn't team him up with like as many kind of goofy ideas as you know Superman and Santa Claus or Superman and you know He Man. Oh yeah, you had Superman and Commandy, Superman and Omac. I mean, Batman yeah. teamed up with Sergeant Rock, but Superman did. Uh, I don't think they ever. Ha- I, I'd have to look back, and, and, and I'm, I'm kicking myself because I, I haven't read this entire run, but I'm pretty familiar with the different heroes he teamed up with but i i could have sworn he never teamed up with jonah hex but he may have i don't uh, i don't think he did i don't think he did but very few of them came back twice firestorm came back twice aquaman three times a lady really i thought it was only mm-hmm. they, did, okay, that, they so did that try issue with firestorm and with captain adam yep yeah oh that's right okay well really um <laughs> Could you be a little more dismissive, huh? How many issues did Superman show? Oh, never mind. Yeah, I was about to say he kind of had to be there. <laughs> I, you know, can I say this, too, as, as just a, I obsessed? No. Uh, okay, whatever. Uh, and, uh, as an obsessive comic fan, it bothered me tremendously that DC Comics Presents got canceled as of number 97. They didn't let it get to 100. <laughs> that, that drove me nuts. Like, let them get to 100. Come on. That's a nice round number. I mean, I know they had to end it for when Byrne was taking over. But it, yeah, that, that just always it just bugged me. It's it, it's it's kind of weird because you know it ended with with the that Phantom Zone the issue. Phantom Zone, yeah. And that was uh, I believe that one was written by Steve Gerber, and that because Steve Gerber kind of turned the Phantom Zone into a living entity during the Phantom Zone miniseries, which is if you've never read that, it's a trip, and it's all out in trade paperback right now. So hmm. you know, but it, it's readily available. In fact, the trade paperback has the four issue miniseries and. DC Comics presents ninety seven. This book gets gets uh, the the re 
prints of the stories, you know, outside of the showcase presents are kind of weird. The, the, the firestorm one we're going to be covering in, uh, uh, you know, on, on the crossover episode is actually in the back of the back in action trade paperback from 2007. What? Yeah. Cause back in action was when all of the heroes like teamed up with Superman. It was like Kurt Busiek vamping for Jeff Johns and you had firestorm. You had the new Aquaman in that. And I guess because these characters appeared in that story, they had DC Comics Presents number four. They had 17 and 24 in the back of that trade. Huh. Hmm. It's really weird. Now, DC Comics number four is the Mental Man issue. It Mm -hmm. is crazy fun. It is so good. Again, it's Len Wein. It's Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Praise be his name. Doing Metal Men. It's so good. Did either of you ever read Back in Action? That's the the three issue run of Action Comics. Wait a minute, you're 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 throwing me off here. So Back in Action was a storyline, and then it had a trade that yes. threw other stuff in there. Oh, yes. I see. Oh, oh, um, oh, it was Kurt Busiek. Firestorm was on the cover with Jason. Yeah. Right, as far as you know, it's oddly enough, I have them. I've never read them, but they're sitting on top of my long boxes and have been for about three years to read. <laughs> yeah, because you had the Jason Rush Firestorm and the uh, Sword of Atlantis. Not Sword of Atlantis. No, Sword of Atlantis. Am I right? right? Aquaman's in those too? Yeah, Aquaman's in that. Uh, oh, that's like we right. Need to cover that's this, right. That's right. That's right. We totally need to cover this. Yeah, that, that Aquaman showed up also in a Superman-Batman story where he, like, owned Superman. So. He totally did. Had a chunk of kryptonite. He was about to stab him through the friggin' heart. <laughs> Joe, was, Joe was cool. I liked Joe. So, Joe. I have all of those. I, re- I actually found them in a 25-cent bin because you guys were saying how you didn't like it at first, but then you went back and read it, and it was a lot better. So I, I decided to follow a suit. So at some point, I'll sit down and read those. Uh, and kind of give it another chance. So, but but I guess the the piece of advice is to stop when Buziak leaves. It depends. Some people say the Tad Williams stuff is better. I think the better stuff's the Busiak stuff, or Busiak, however you say his name. I like them both. I I feel like uh, the Busiak Butch Geist stuff is a little more uh, dramatically interesting. But but there was a lot of cool stuff in the Williams and Sean McMahon. I mean, I love Sean McManus, so there was some good stuff there too. It's interesting. Sorry, I'm totally digressing. Just I found this interesting. The DC Comics Presents number four that you just mentioned, the one with the Metal Men. I'm looking at it in the Showcase Presents. The particular thing they scanned for this cover actually has the color codes on it. Interesting. Only in certain places, though. It's really weird. Comics coloring was so bizarre. Totally random observation. So, uh, all right, folks. Well, let's see. Anything else to wrap up on um, before we wrap up, guys? I think we've covered this ground quite thoroughly. Yes. We have. So, folks, you can uh, you can find this in, again, DC Comics Presents number five. You can find that in your back issue bins or online. If you can get your hands on a Showcase Presents volume one of DC Comics Presents, uh, it's in there. It's a good read, worth picking up. There's some high points. There's some low points. But it's an important part of Aquaman and Superman uh, hanging out and being best buddies. And there's not even a lot of, a lot of Superman dickery in it. So, All right. Mr. Bailey? Thank you so much for being on the Fire and Water Podcast. We sincerely appreciate you coming around. Oh, always a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, Rob, and uh, we're, tell the folks how where they can write in to us, if you would. Firewaterpodcast.comcast.net, and our Tumblr is firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Um, Mike, tell you what, folks, just so you know, and I said this before, 
after you finish listening to this episode, head over to Views from the Law Box. Because in there, in his iTunes feed, you're going to find part two of this episode where we tackle another DC Comics Presents episode or issue. Mike, why don't you tell them where they can find you as well, though? In the uh, well, they will pro- they will have to wait till Tuesday because that's the normal drop date for Views from the Law Box. So if you're one of the people like me that downloads the show as soon as it pops up on Sunday. Uh, Aw, you're, so, you're so nice. Uh, it's almost like I wish you would put it up earlier so I could download it before I went to work. But, you know, I'm not, <laughs> not going to make you guys do extra work. But you can find Views from the Long Box at the very handy URL, www. I can say it right now, Shag. Uh, congratulations. <laughs> it only took like six years. Dot viewsfromthelongbox.com. And from there, you can find links to my other things like uh, the Fortress of Bailitude, which is. Uh, my Superman blog, where just about every day there's something new and fun with Superman on there. Uh, you, a, lot of, a lot of who's who stuff out there, too, folks. Uh, yeah, every Monday is who's who classics, and and, and, and when I remember, and, and if you guys have covered it, I do link to the episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that doesn't happen, and it makes me sad. But um, I cry a lot. But I also do From Crisis to Crisis over at the Superman homepage. I'm also part of the the Radio KL live show. That's every Monday at 1030 Eastern Standard Time. You can hear Steve Eunice and I live talking about Superman. We've had all kinds of guests like Elliot S. Magan and Jack O'Halloran and John Hames Newton and many, many people from the Superman world. And I also am part of the Two True Freaks. I do Comics Monthly Monday. With Shag and uh, Shag, really? Did I just say Shag? <laughs> I have appeared on a few Two True Treats shows, uh, but not that one. Uh, with uh, with uh, Scott and Chris, Scott's going to be so pissed at me right now. <laughs> he doesn't listen to our show. Don't worry. He should. But you've, we've said his name, so he will listen to it. That's true. He does appear when you say his name. <laughs> so, but no, thanks a lot. I, I'm really excited that that we're getting this. We're finally getting this uh, crossover off the ground, and uh, I guess to be continued. Yes. So, folks, you can find Rob over at AquamanShrine.net. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can find me at FirestormFan.com uh, using that same handle. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, and Instagram. And until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. And now take that wave and ride right over to Views from the Long Box. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman. Super friends forever. Yeah! This episode of the Fire and Water Podcast was dedicated to Cheryl K. Burbage, 1934-2013. to 2013.